0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the Outsider Ad Podcast, Episode 14, Carlo Zanelli. Before we start this episode, I have to do a bit of housekeeping. Firstly, I have a correction from episode 13 on Minnie Evans. I've been looking forward to the day that someone sent me a correction. It feels like a podcaster rite of passage type thing. Wendy pointed out that I had mistakenly referred to the author of the paper Aspects of Minnie Evans, Nathan Kernan, as Nathan Kerner throughout the episode and in the reading list. Wendy told me that she had not only worked with Nathan, but that he was Nina Howell Starr's grandson. Wendy also mentioned that she was great friends with Nina, so close connections all over the place there and perfectly placed to make a correction. I think I also know why I made the mistake in Nathan's surname, which was always sitting in front of me as Kernan and not Kerner but I believe that my mind got it twisted up with the name Nathan Lerner, Henry Darger's landlord. And from then on, my brain just keeps seeing Nathan Kerner rather than Nathan Kernan. Anyway, that's my excuse. Apologies to Nathan for getting his name wrong. I have amended the episode audio, so hopefully any new downloads will have the correct name. And I've adjusted the reading list on the podcast website. And many thanks to Wendy, Not only for gently correcting me, but also for her generous support and kind words about the podcast, and also for posting a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I now have two reviews, which is exciting, and not only because they are positive and are augmented with five stars, which helps, but it's just nice to get some engagement. So thanks to those of you who have reviewed, rated, and sent me messages about the show. I really appreciate it. Secondly, I'd like to thank Francesco at Five Continents Editions Publishing for helping me out with this episode on Carlo Zanelli by providing me with a copy of their stunning book, Carlo Zanelli, Recto Verso. It not only contains a wealth of information and commentary on Carlo and his work. But it is full of beautiful reproductions from the Collection de l'Art Brut's extensive collection of Carlo's art, as well as some wonderful photographs. I have been salivating over Five Continents Editions' catalogue of books, including many relating to outsider art and Art Brut, as well as an extensive selection of other art related titles. You can find them at fivecontinentseditions.com. That's the word five continents editions all one word dot com, so please check them out and get a bit of what you fancy. Okay, now that I've done my first proper podcaster opening spiel, it's time to get on with the episode, and it's one that I've been looking forward to doing since I started this podcast. Carlo Zanelli, or just Carlo, as he's often referred to is one of my all-time favourite artists and one of the first, in inverted commas, outsider artists that caught my eye and got me excited about exploring further and deeper. There's so much that appeals about Carlo's work. The bold silhouettes, the repetition, the colour palettes, the horror vacui, the use of signs and symbols, the use of text and the uncanny eye for composition in a frame filled with disparate elements. Even his use of negative circular space, which can sometimes bring on tripophobias, is not so intense as to be disturbing. I'll call Carlo Zanelli Carlo throughout this podcast, as that is generally how he was known. A nod perhaps to the masters of the time, who were often so ubiquitous that they were referred to by just one name. But... More likely he was Carlo due to the tendency to adapt a modicum of privacy for institutionalized patients by either using a nom de plume or a single name instead of identifying them by their birth name. Carlo's story is unfortunately similar to some of the artists we have already spoken about on the Outsider Art Podcast, and deals with the effects of traumatic experiences and the consequences of the dysfunctional mental health system that was operating in the mid 20th century. He was born on the 2nd of July, 1916, in San Giovanni Lupitoto, which was a small rural town near the Italian city of Verona. Carlo was the sixth of seven children that his parents Caterina and Alessandra would have. At the time of his birth Carlo's father, a carpenter by trade, was away fighting in the First World War. In 1918 Carlo's mother died in childbirth, and with the family affected by the economic issues brought on by the war, he only attended school intermittently up till age nine. The schooling of the children of poor families was often interrupted by the need for the children to assist with agricultural work, and Carlo's situation was no different. After leaving school, Carlo worked on a large farm near Palazzina. It is during this time that Carlo's affinity and fondness for animals was born, and this happy time of his life is reflected in some of his later artworks. In 1934, Carlo moved to Verona and lived with his sisters. He found work in the city abattoir and seems to have had a relatively stable life during this period. He developed a passion for music and the earliest indications of his artistic drive are evident from this time. In 1936, Carlo was called up for military service and moved from Verona to Trento becoming an infantryman in a battalion of the Alpini, the Italian Mountain Infantry. He completed his compulsory service during this year. Over the following years, he was recalled to the army several times. His records show that he was disciplined for inappropriate behaviour and repeated lateness. Interestingly, and similarly to Martin Ramirez during his early years in the USA, Carlo would send postcards to his family that featured small drawings. In 1939, Carlo was sent to Spain as a volunteer in inverted commas, to fight on the side of the fascists in the Spanish Civil War. It seems he spent a short time there as a stretcher bearer, but his records show that he was sent back to Italy after two months, suffering from persecution mania and delusional episodes. Up until he left the army in December 1941, Carlo was granted several periods of sick leave and spent time in military hospital. He suffered episodes of aggression and terror. His brother, Raffaello, who was diagnosed with paranoid psychosis, died in 1941. In the book I mentioned at the start of this podcast, Carlo Zanelli Recto Verso, there's a photo of Carlo, dated circa 1936, when he would have been around 20 years old. He's in a relaxed pose, sitting on a radical carved chair that looks like it was a throne for a South American sun god king. He is holding a little dog on his knee, and a cigarette casually in his hand. He looks every bit the man about town, self-assured, smart and staring straight at the camera. Over the following ten years his life would fall apart, firstly during his time spent in and out of the army, and then during the years of World War II as he tried to reintegrate into society in Verona. In Recto Verso, they summarise this time between 1941 and 1947, Quote, Carlo tries to return to civilian life and work. He resumes work at the Verona Abattoir and for a while lives by selling cigarettes on the black market, but his mental state is deteriorating. His delusional episodes, in which traumatic memories of the Spanish Civil War combined with anxiety caused by the current global conflict cause him to become increasingly isolated. He is hospitalised several times, undergoing electroconvulsive therapy and treatment with insulin. He spends periods living in his father's house with his sisters who witness his fits of delusion and aggression, occasionally interspersed with periods of lucidity. These years are also marked by a pathological attachment to his dog and interest in music. The next ten years of his life were essentially lost to him after his internment in San Giacomo alla Tomba psychiatric hospital in Verona in 1947. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Eventually, he would stop communicating intelligibly talking to himself incoherently living in the typically appalling conditions of mid-century mental institutions he was also subject to fits of rage until he was prescribed a tranquilizer Largatil, in 1955. scottish sculptor michael noble who would play a major role in providing an environment for carlo to realize his artistic talents describes the conditions in the essay Memories of Carlo, in the Recto Verso book. It was home to some 1,300 patients, men and women with individual problems of every conceivable variety, most of whom had been forgotten by the outside world. It was not uncommon for entire families to leave their neighbourhood out of shame if word got out that one of their relatives had been locked up because they were seen as mad. The doctors were few in number, often inexperienced, and so badly paid that they had to make ends meet by working as locums and taking on extra work. In general, despite the brave efforts of innovative psychiatrists like Trebucci and Marini, the solution was to knock the patients out with massive doses of Ligatil, and put the more agitated ones in a straitjacket if they became too difficult to deal with. Most of the men were dressed in scraps of military uniform. End quote. It was also in 1955 that Carlo began drawing on the walls and in the ground of the small outdoor yard of the hospital. That same year a drawing teacher was hired, and Carlo attended a few lessons, but the formal academic training style caused him to stop. In 1956, the aforementioned Michael Noble married Ida Boletti and they settled in a villa on Lake Giada, close to Verona. In 1957, Noble was either introduced to or was an outpatient of Professor Cherubino Tribucci at the San Giacomo Hospital. Tribucci told him about the failed experiment at art therapy they had tried and introduced Noble to Dr. Mario Marini as Noble wished to try a new approach to engage the patients with artistic expression. This approach was, for the time, far-sighted and a forerunner to the more enlightened art therapy that would develop over the next several decades. Psychiatrist Vittorino Andrioli, who as a young student first met Carlo in 1959 and formed a close, lifelong relationship with him, Describes in an interview with the Museum of Everything the way Noble ran the studio. Quote, Michael did not teach, and staff were prohibited from giving patients information or support. All we could do was provide materials and mix colours. Noble provided paper, gouache, brushes, charcoal and pencils. The hospital provided a room and nurse Mario Mengali who a few weeks later brought Carlo to the studio. Noble describes Carlo's awakening, quote, As though this were the moment he had been waiting for, Carlo immediately set out on his extraordinary journey, filling large sheets of paper one after the other with total concentration, occasionally declaiming words in his sonorous voice and a language all his own. He seemed happy and peaceful aside from very occasional outbursts when he was exasperated by unwanted interruptions that he regarded as interference. As a result, Mingali always made sure that no one disturbed him, and gradually, as though a knot had been untied, Carlo began to allow himself a pause when he would smile, hum, and joke in dialect with Mingali, before turning serious once more and taking up his brush. The studio was open Monday to Friday, 8 till 11.30am and 1 to 5pm and also on Saturday mornings. Carlo kept a jealous watch over his brushes. No one could touch them and he used them all down to the last hair. Sometimes when he was inspired to paint on the back of the sheets of paper, Mingali tried to give him two sheets lightly glued together. But it was no good. His refusal was polite but categorical. End quote. Painting on both sides of a sheet of paper is common with Carlo's work and something he did systematically from 1962 onwards, hence the recto verso title of the Five Continents Editions book. A purpose-built atelier funded by Ida Brilletti, was constructed on the grounds of the hospital and in November 1957, the first exhibition of the San Giacomo artists was held at La Coniche Gallery in Verona. The catalogue for the exhibition, written by Dino Buzzati, is titled, They Are Real Artists. The show received positive reviews in newspapers and magazines, but similar to the reviews of Martin Ramirez's work, the nomenclature used to describe the artists was archaic, Noble even sent out letters to various publications to this effect. Quote We have noticed the interest your newspaper has shown in the recent exhibitions in Verona, Milan and Rome presenting the works of people interned in our psychiatric hospital. We should have very much liked to have them read the articles you wrote about them as we believe that the fact of recognising the importance of their works increases the curative value of this activity. However, in most cases, this was not possible, as the words madmen, crazy, insane, and worse still, nutters, continually appeared in the titles or in the text. You undoubtedly know that modern psychiatry long ago ceased to consider mental patients in this way. Quote. Over the next few years, Noble and Bolletti organized regular excursions for the artist's patients, including to their property on Lake Yarda, and to the studio of their friend, ceramicist Pino Castagna. Andreoli, after first meeting Carlo in 1959, became more involved with him, taking him on excursions, including visiting the exhibition Art e Piscoterapia at the Palazzo Forti in Verona, which presented works of art brute, notably those of Alois and Adolf Wolfley. He also began writing about Carlo's work and would eventually complete his doctoral thesis on the same subject in 1964. In 1963, Andreoli travelled to Paris and met with Jean Dubuffet and André Breton. Dubuffet, who was already familiar with Carlo's works, appeared to have harboured a long-standing difficulty reconciling the genesis of Carlo's art through the hospital studio setup with his dogmatic interpretation of what was pure art brute. In a letter to his contact who had introduced him to Carlo's work, he said, It would be good for you to explain to Professor Trebucci that we are looking for entirely spontaneous works, which patients have done in secret, with no encouragement. In the hospitals of every country these days, there are studios where they do what is called art therapy, The patients are given paper and colours and invited to do some drawing. This output is of no interest whatsoever to us. What we are looking for are patients who fill notebooks alone and in secret with small pencil drawings that they hide under the mattress or make little objects with string and any materials that come to hand and who are so fascinated by this activity that they go on to spend all their time on it and this work becomes their reason for living. End quote. However, perhaps with the encouragement of André Breton, Dubuffet agreed to purchase some of Carlo's work for the Compagnie de l'Art Brut collection. He would, despite his misgivings, go on to publish Andreoli's writings on Carlo, add many war works to the collection and exhibit them. It would seem that ultimately the power of the work overcame the strict application of the art Brut dogma. The Collection de la Art Brut in Lausanne holds ninety nine pieces of Carlo's, totaling one hundred sixty five works taking into account the recto verso of many of them. It is estimated that Carlo's body of work includes at least nineteen hundred paintings and a few sculptures although I have seen numbers up around 3,000 as well. Carlo continued working throughout the 1960s, and in 1964 Michael Noble left and Andrioli took over managing the studio. In 1969 the San Giacomo Hospital was demolished and Carlo was moved to a hospital in Mazana, a suburb of Verona. It took a few months for an art studio to be set up, and Carlo, disturbed by these changes, would only sporadically attend the new studio. His output diminished over the following years. Between 1971 and 1973, Carlo suffered from chronic bronchitis and lived with his brothers. He passed away January 27, 1974, from tuberculosis at the Cheviot Sanatorium. Carlo's work has been exhibited throughout the world, the Fondation Culturelle Carlo Zanelli, which was established in 1997, estimates that nearly 130 events, both monographic and group shows, have featured his work. Daniel Bauman, in an interview with the Museum of Everything, says of his first encounter with Carlo's work quote, I was struck by the figures, the colours, the rhythm, the way Zanelli organised his page. How he lined up the same figures again and again, like stamps or words. They seemed like songs, visual poems. Despite the bold graphic style that he maintained throughout most of his work, and the fact that you can instantly recognise a Carlo painting in much the same way that you can with work by Wolfley, Ramirez, or Daja. He undoubtedly evolved as an artist throughout the years that he was working, as Annex Zanzi in the book Recto Verso explains Carlo's doctor, Andreoli, was the first to effect a systematic analysis of the artist's oeuvre. In the 1960s, Andreoli divided Carlo's output into three successive periods according to differences he identified in the subjects composition, use of colour and painting style. To these we can add a fourth comprising the last paintings made after Carlo's transfer to Mazana, another hospital in the Verona region in 1969. Andrioli notes that the years 1957 to 1960 are characterised by a quote, calligraphic style, figures and repeated transparent objects. For 1961 to 1965, he notes, colour and the repetition of objects four by four with periods during which this foursome becomes a rule. While in the third period, 1966 to 1969, he observes, quote, the use of writing as a chosen means of expression. While Carlo's pictures undoubtedly have certain specific characteristics relating to the date they were made, such as the profusion of motifs and their superimposition in the first period, and the omnipresence of writing in the third, his work as a whole shows great coherence. While it does evolve and develop, his hand becomes more assured, and from 1966 the use of space becomes more apparent. The world of Carlo's painting generates a sense of overall unity. End quote. There are many repeated motifs and themes throughout Carlo's work, and it is not always easy to drag out meaning from the dense visual information that sits within each of his frames. They are labyrinths of figures, shapes, colours, iconography, letters and words that can be overwhelming. On the surface, with their figurative abundance, they can seem almost abstract and purely decorative, but they certainly had meaning for Carlo, who famously told a critic who inquired as to what his art represented, quote, If you are not an idiot, look. End quote. They are vibrant narratives full of ideas and stories, vignettes and memories. Admittedly, they are not able to be summed up in a pithy one liner, or possibly summed up at all in any sort of objective way but there is meaning and biography and fascination to be found. Maybe not in the way that Carlo envisioned it should be, but this, I think, adds to the enigma of his work. Its appeal is that it is not an easy read, but an evolving one. Multiple viewings are rewarded. As Marta Spagnololo says in her essay, Carlo, Words and Signs, in the Recto Verso book, Quote, Time proves crucial to an understanding of Carlo's work. When we keep our eyes fixed on the paper, he repays us with the pleasure of observation and growing understanding." For further understanding of his work, I would recommend getting hold of a copy of Carlo Zanelli Recto Verso, as there is considered analysis of his use of forms and motifs, letters and words, as well as short essays looking at a number of individual works in detail. I'd like to finish up with a couple of quotes from Michael Noble. The first is a bit of insider knowledge only those who observed Carlo working day to day could know, and which adds yet another somewhat ribald layer to the reading of his works. But there were things the journalists couldn't see. For example, before being covered by their habitual long black tunics, Carlo's endless figures were shown with an erect penis. Even dear Professor Trebucci may not have known this. The second quote refers to the excursions that the patients were taken on and relates a scene that I think is a nice way to remember Carlo. Usually, towards the end of these days out, before they got back on their bus to return to the hospital, we would spend an hour in a tavern with musicians and people we knew in Garda. We would sing and dance. Carlo, who had good taste and a fine voice, would sing old songs from the mountains, remembering all the words, and sometimes gallantly dance a waltz with Ida. End quote. And with that, I'll end this podcast on Carlo Zanelli. As always, I will put up a reading list on the podcast website at shows.acast.com slash outsider-art-podcast. And I'd like to again thank Five Continents Editions for supplying Carlo Zanelli Recto Verso, which has been my main reference source for this podcast. It's a fascinating read, full of wonderful reproductions and photos, and most definitely deserves a place in your library. Go to fivecontinentseditions.com, that's the word five, to find a copy, and do explore their amazing selection of art books while you're there. If you can, please review, rate, subscribe and share the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Follow the Outsider Art Podcast Instagram and Facebook pages. There are links on the podcast website or just search for Outsider Art Podcast, all one word. Coming up on the next Outsider Art Podcast, I'm going to be looking at Henry Jaja. This is going to be a big one as there is not only a huge amount of material written about Daja in the form of books, essays and dissertations, but there is also a degree of contentiousness to be dissected as well. I'm not going to read in the realms of the unreal, as I might never get onto the podcast proper if I tried to tackle its 15,000 plus pages, but I do think that it is likely that I will have to spread Daja over more than one episode. So join me next time as we trip lightly into the Glendeco Angelinian war storm with Henry Darja and thanks so much for listening.